Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Last Sunday we read both from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, as well as from the Gospels, and we'll do that again uh, today, reading from the Isaiah, thinking about the Old Testament prophets and their vision and hope for a Messiah, and then reading from the Gospels as we prepare to celebrate Christmas here in a couple of weeks. And so we'll begin with Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, uh, one of the great uh, visions and texts of hope in the Old Testament. It's there in your order of worship, but also on the screens, and so I invite you to follow along. Hear these words of Scripture. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth." He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the, with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist. Faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Continuing with the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke, saying, The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. The people of Jerusalem and Judea were going out to him along the region of Jordan. They were being baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Yes, God, as we gather today for worship, as we share in song and fellowship and greeting, as we gather our hearts around these ancient and holy words, as we prepare to come to your table, we do so with gratitude in our hearts, giving thanks that you have called us to this place of peace and rest, to this place of care and comfort. 
God, as we focus our hearts and minds on the words of Isaiah and on the work of John the Baptist, may you use these words to reshape our hearts and our will according to your holy love. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Nature is metal. Yeah? Nature is metal. Metal in this case means hardcore, intense. Nature is metal or hardcore or intense. Nature is metal. That is the name of one of my favorite social media accounts. Don't look it up right now. It's not necessarily appropriate for church. But in this nature is metal social media feed, what these folks do is they collect videos and pictures from around the world of animals doing interesting and curious and sometimes violent things. Nature is metal. Are you with me? And so here we got a picture of a honey badger and a kudu doing a little bit of a battle, and I think the kudu has lifted the honey badger up into the air. If you go to this feed, it's, it's supposed to be educational. You can learn things about this sort of, um, this week they had an image about, of this articulating eyelid that comes down on an eagle between its true eyelid and its eye, and that allows them to still see when they're doing intricate things, but it protects their eyes from like getting pecked on by their own young when they're feeding them. Did you know that that happened? No, right? You didn't know that happened. And so there are a lot of things about nature that we can learn from these scientists with these great photos and images. Oftentimes it's things of like a water buffalo and lions fighting it out or, uh, or leopards chasing monkeys around a tree or these intricate fish at the bottom of the sea chasing one another, often eating one another. It's kind of like the, the true picture of nature, right? Nature is metal, right? Nature is intense. I really like this feed. It can be a little bit gruesome, but there's something about that that's like, wow, this is, this is interesting. This is, this is how it is. This is the way God created the order of the world. And, and there's these systems, these ecosystems, and there's predators, and there's prey. And then, of course, there's, there's plant life, and there's water, and there's sun. And, and wow, all of this is happening out there in the world, in nature. You know, and it really doesn't depend on me. And it's just kind of something sort of interesting and, and even a little bit mystical and beautiful about that, right? Kind of the, the honesty and the, and the seriousness of nature, right? This is the way the world works, and it really doesn't even depend on humanity. Nature is metal. Compare those scenes that we often see in National Geographic or on the Discovery Channel uh, to the vision offered us today from the prophet Isaiah. Last week we read from Isaiah 2, and in Isaiah 2 the prophet uh, offers this vision, this dream of the world coming together, the people of the, the different nations. And Isaiah 2 had a real clear uh, hope, right, that they would, that they would take their, their weapons and that they would reshape them to be gardening tools, and that all the peoples, the nations, would come together and they wouldn't war anymore. That was Isaiah 2. I want you to hear with me today how much how much wider the vision has grown in Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, the prophet describes the, the future of, of God's uh, world, not, not just as the peoples coming together in peace, but Isaiah imagines all of creation coming together in peace. Some of the phrases from Isaiah 11 that we read just a moment ago, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion together. A little child will lead them, the cow and the bear will graze, the young will lie down, and the lion will eat uh, straw like the ox. So notice what Isaiah has done. Not, not only is God's future a place of peace and harmony among humanity, 
not only will we put our weapons away, not only will we no longer war with one another, but Isaiah goes so far as to say, imagine a future where there is no hurt or harm anymore. Imagine a future where, where all these animals that are constantly feeding on each other and attacking each other, imagine a future in, in God's world where they live at peace with one another. Imagine a future where lions no longer uh, chase other animals and eat them, but actually eat straw and grass for their diet. And so today when we read Isaiah 11, we've been given this, this grand vision of not only peace among humanity, but really peace among all of creation. Dream with Isaiah Right? Imagine with Isaiah. Edward Hicks, this is one of the most famous paintings. There are a few versions of this painting, and it has been recreated and, and modified and copied many times over. But Edward Hicks did this one in the 1800s called The Peaceable Kingdom. And I particularly like this one because the animals have kind of human-like features. Their, their eyes and their mouth and their nose almost look like people, kind of, kind of adding even more depth to this vision. Imagine lions and, and ox and wolves and lambs. Imagine them all being at peace together, even little babies playing with them, right? Imagine that sort of peace in the world to come. Now, when Isaiah offers this vision, Isaiah offers it through this particular lens. I hope you heard it as I was reading it, because it's kind of unique to Isaiah, and it's unique to Isaiah chapter 11. He says there a few different times. Before we get to this vision of hope and peace and harmony, he says there will be a Messiah and this Messiah will come from the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse. Now, Jesse, in your mind and in your Sunday school lessons and your history with the Bible, Jesse may not ring a lot of bells because Jesse is not a major biblical figure. We don't have many long, grand stories about Jesse and his leadership. Really, all we know about Jesse and all that's recorded in the Bible in 1 Samuel 16 uh, is that Jesse is the father of David. Jesse is the father of David. You'll remember, they go to Jesse's house, they're looking for a new king, and so we know that Jesse is a, a farmer, he has these many sons who farm with him, they farm in the land of Bethlehem, right, that's an important element. And so they go to Jesse's house and they say, among your sons we're going to choose a king, and so he starts with his oldest son, and they work their way from the oldest to the middle-aged sons down to the youngest son. The youngest son is David, and they say, David is the one, David will be the king. And so Jesse just is a little part of the Old Testament story, and yet Isaiah lifts up Jesse, the root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, some of the Bibles say, out of Jesse's lineage will come this Messiah. Now to me, that's sort of an odd thing to, to pick up. Most, most people think of, of Jesus coming out of the house of David, as it's recorded in other places, the Davidic line of the king. But, but Isaiah points to Jesse, which I think is Isaiah's way of being even more specific. The specificity, right? The, 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 the intricate detail here, right? It's not just any Messiah that will come. It's a Messiah out of the, the root of Jesse. And when he comes, he will have this particular spirit about him. A spirit of counsel and of knowledge, a spirit of, of judgment. And he will have this fear of the Lord, and when he comes, people will recognize in him something unique and powerful, and they will, they will come to be around him and to be among him, and they will want to witness the, the good things that he does. You'll remember in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus picks up a scroll in the temple, the prophet Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And so if we were doing a, a Bible study with a whiteboard, we could see all these details from the Old Testament story of, of Jesse and his son David who becomes king, from the prophet Isaiah who's tying Jesse and David together, to the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, where Jesus says, I am the one, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's all sort of coming together in this messianic vision that one day a Messiah will come from the root of Jesse and the Spirit will be on him in such a way that the wolf will lie down with the lamb, that the ox and the lion will graze together, that the peace of, of all of creation will come forth through his, through his care and through his ministry. What a radical and grand vision Isaiah offers us. Now, if nature is metal, then so too is the human spirit. So too is the human spirit. I've been reading this book on the left here called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's written by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And in this book, he's writing mostly to, to kind of pastors or church leader types, but it's really not exclusive to them. I would recommend this book to any of you. And he's offering some skills and some reflections on the way in which we need to deal with our own emotional challenges, particularly in leadership. Now, leadership may be like preaching or, or being a school principal or an administrator, but leadership also is just in your own relationships right and raising your children and working with co-workers right anywhere in which you engage in other people with other people then you're you're working through some leadership skills in chapter two he has this this uh this chapter called facing your shadows facing your shadows and in that chapter he talks about the shadow side of our personalities he talks about the ways in which many of us carry a public persona in leadership but the private persona the inner spirit often looks very different of course, he uses the example of, of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Many of you have read that novel or seen uh, short stories or movies based on it. The, the mild-mannered professional by day who's, who's capable of these heinous and violent criminal acts by night. Scazzaro says there's something sort of similar in us. That we often put forward one image, but inside is another. He describes our shadow sides in this way. He says, your shadow is the accumulation of your untamed emotions your less than pure motives and thoughts, largely unconscious, but influences your shape and shapes your behaviors. It is the damaged and hidden side of who we are. Now, I find that chapter pretty convincing and, and pretty uh, compelling because I, I see that in myself. You know, I have a, a public persona, a preaching persona, a Sunday face that I put on, right, to do the job on Sunday. But often underneath the surface, there's frustration or anger or disappointment or jealousy. And, and I could feel that even this week, right? As, as the week's events unfolded and more and more things were on the calendar and I could feel anxiety building and, and I could feel myself getting short with other people, right? That's that shadow side sort of coming out. And talking about the shadow sides, Cazero invites us to think about the, the patterns that we see in our own behaviors. Why is it that we get angry when, when certain circumstances are at work in our lives why is it that we're easily triggered whenever we're having this particular conversation why is it that we're so jealous and so concerned about other people's successes and victories why is it that we grow frustrated when people name some of the shortcomings that they see in us each of us have that sort of shadow side to our personality, and most of us know it well, but we usually defend it by saying things like, well, I, I know I get angry, but that's just the way I am. 
I know I have a temper. That's just the way I'm wired. My dad had that same sort of temper. I know I can be jealous and judgmental, but, you know, that's just, that's just who I am in my spirit. That's, I, I just deal with it the best I can. It's just the way the world is. It's just the way nature works. Lions hunt antelope and eat them. That's just the way it is. I sometimes get angry and frustrated. That's just the way I'm wired. John the Baptist is the great unwelcomed Christmas guest. We've just decorated for Christmas. We've got our trees up. Our homes are looking good. We're starting to buy gifts. We're preparing for holiday meals and social events. And then shows up this crazy uncle, right? He's dressed inappropriately. He didn't get the dress code. And he comes in first thing and wants to talk about religion and politics, right? Do you know who I'm talking about? You all got one of these folks in your family? This is who John the Baptist is for us in Advent. Just as things are coming together sort of peacefully and we're excited about the season, we get this rude interruption from this crazy character from out in the wilderness. The Gospels record him as as wearing a camel's hair and he has this large leather belt and he eats locusts and wild honey. He is an awesome character. And he comes in preaching this message of of repentance. You need to repent. And he even goes so far as he, he points at religious people, the sort of people who come to church on a rainy Sunday morning, and he says, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Now, I would never say that to you, right? I would never call you a brood of vipers. Uh, But John the Baptist did, right? And we're letting him do a little of the preaching this morning. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near, and you need to repent. You need to, to confess. You need to come clean about who you are and what you've done. Because this holy one that's coming near, he's coming with a, with a spirit of fire, and he's going to baptize you. And he's going to burn away the ugliness in your spirit. When we hear John the Baptist preaching and we hear those words like repentance, that often kind of brings to us a sense of, of being uncomfortable. When we think about repentance, we think about a sort of hellfire and brimstone sermon. We think about uh, people who, who picket uh, in college campuses who kind of make us feel less than human, who sort of get on to us. I wish today, if you could with me, to, that you would maybe rethink that, that image of repentance. That when you think of repentance, I wish you wouldn't think so much judgment and guilt, but you would think about, about healing and wholeness. Repentance is healing. Repentance is the opportunity to, to deal with some of that stuff that, that makes us feel so unwell, some of those shadowy things, some of that anger and frustration and jealousy and judgment, that stuff that's just under the surface. John the Baptist is inviting us to, to name that, to give that over to God. Repentance is not just about making you feel bad. Really, repentance is about making you feel good. It's about giving up the bad, giving up the anger and frustration and fear and disappointment, training it in for healing and wholeness. I wish when you, when you thought about John the Baptist that you would think about a very serious doctor, a doctor who can speak to you with, with candor and care. You're sick. It's serious. But here's how we can heal you. Confess, repent, be baptized. There's two things going on today in these two lessons, Isaiah and Matthew, and I want you to hold them together. Isaiah says, imagine when the Messiah comes that there will be a peace across all of creation, across all of creation. Even the animals will will be at peace with one another. There will be no more harm or hurt. 
John the Baptist comes and says, imagine as the Messiah comes that not only will there be peace across creation, not only will there be peace outside of you, but John the Baptist says, imagine what it would be like to have peace inside of you. That the violence and the chaos is not only out there in the natural world, but, but there's violence and chaos in your heart. And just as God can bring the lion and the lamb to lie down together, so too God can bring peace and healing to your soul. And that's part of the hope of this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. I'll conclude today with a, a quote from a, a favorite preacher of mine, Fleming Rutledge, and, and she says so well here in a few sentences what I tried to say in this sermon. There is a power outside of us that is coming, and it is a power to make a new creation out of people like us, people who have no capacity to save ourselves. This power is not our power. It's not the power of your deeds or your strength or your discipline or your faith. It is God's power that gives us the power for good deeds and inner strength and discipline and faith and repentance. Today, the second Sunday of Advent, we are able to repent and to bear fruit because He is coming. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks that You have seen fit to save us, to save all of creation, yes, but to save us, to save us as individuals, to help us to repent and to bear fruit again. God, we pray today that we would have the courage to be honest with you about who we are and the ways in which we need healing this Advent season. Forgive us, heal us, and make us whole. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.